Welcome everyone to episode nine of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. Thank you for listening to the show in general. This episode is gonna be another episode filled with the shit that we're not taught in school. As always, I am your host, Maverick Levy, and I wanna mention that, actually, I record this on the Fridays, you listen to it on a Wednesday, but we just announced the giveaway winner from the latest Instagram giveaway that we did, which you can find any of our social medias at TBOTBpod. And if you missed it, make sure you're following, interacting, because there will definitely be more giveaways. But before we hop into today's interview, as always, I want to tell everyone that the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now, this interview is a pretty badass interview because not only is he a friend, but he's an entrepreneur and he's a fellow car guy, as I like to say. So I want to give a warm welcome to Syed Ahmed, who is the owner of Platinum Motor Cars Detroit, but they specialize in selling high-end cars, but he also worked his way up by selling not-so-high-end cars, and he truly is one of the best of the best in the car industry, and we're going to be discussing a range of topics from sort of how he built his business to how actually buying a car works in reality, because this is one of those topics where if you live in a big city, you necessarily might not need a car. You might need a car, but mostly everyone is either going to be buying a car at some point in their life. So I want to break that down for you, which is why I have him on the show today. So welcome, Syed, to the podcast. I'm glad to have you on. Thanks, Maverick, for having us. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a great show. It's going to be filled with information and education, but also a cool story of how you've built your business. So before we get into what I always like to call the nitty gritty of the topic that we're discussing, I like to get my guest's personal background so that the listeners can have a relationship with you and build that connection with you. So where did you grow up? Uh, grew up right around here. I grew up in Bloomfield Hills, went to Lasser High School, stayed here for college. I went to U of M Dearborn and then ended up finishing up at Oakland University. And I've lived here my whole life. I haven't lived anywhere else. Every time I go somewhere else, I'm like, oh, this could be cool. And then we just, we've got three kids now, my wife and I. So this is home. We're not going anywhere. So what's crazy is that you're a car guy and you choose to live in Michigan because the roads are so shitty around here. <laughs> Yeah, well, it just makes us appreciate the other roads when we travel. I just, we were talking about that rally I was just on. I yeah. go to that once a year and I come back. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. All right, so I got to work for another 12 months and do another one of those later. <laughs> and I do a fair amount of driving on track and we've got some pretty okay tracks around here. Yeah, no, definitely. I had Brad Oloshansky on the show, obviously started on one concourse. I know you're there and friends with him. He was on Gold Rush with us this year. Awesome. Yeah, that's, we were talking before we came on being on, uh, if you're not familiar with Gold Rush Rally, search it up and see what it is. But if you're a car addict and fanatic like we both are, you definitely probably know what Gold Rush Rally is because it's pretty popular, but it's definitely a dream of mine. We'll have to get out there together. So were you always interested in cars and buying cars and selling cars or how did you sort of know that this was your passion? So I've always been interested in cars. I always swore I'd actually never do any work related to cars. Like growing <laughs> up, if you asked me what I was going to be, it had nothing to do with cars. I didn't want to mix those two things. My father was an engineer growing up and 
when I was younger, every time I'd point at some cool car, I'd be like, dad, we got to get one of those. He's like, well, I can't, I work for Chrysler. We can only drive Chrysler. So I was like, well, that sucks. Like, I don't ever want to have that shackle of sorts of, you know, only having brand loyalty to one brand. And, uh, I went to school for finance and marketing and did a little bit of that after college and realized that I had no interest in doing that for 40 or 50 years. And this was supposed to be just to pass time and we're about 12,000 cars in now. So I think it's wow. probably safe to say it's a career path at this point. So what year or when did you start or when did you sell your first car? Uh, about 10 years ago. Well, professionally yeah, about 10 years in yeah. your career not yeah uh, car you were selling on the side on craigslist but when did you start selling cars and trying to make a profit on it yeah about 10 years ago i got into it uh there was no profit to start i had no idea what i was doing i walked into uh actually fred lavery in birmingham michigan i had an in through a guy that i personally bought cars from and the used car manager there was like what do you want to pay for these cars and I put numbers on them that I thought made sense and lost a bunch of money. And I was like, well, that sucks. I should probably not do it that way again. And, you know, a little trial and error. Yeah. So you now own and started Platinum Motor Cars Detroit. So what year did you found that? And did you really start uh, making that? So we originally founded Platinum Motor Cars with a partner of mine. We split that up, um, went our own separate ways. And my wife and I started Platinum Motor Cars Detroit about five years ago. Uh, April will be five years that we've been at our location in Birmingham. It's a nice location. I drove by there yesterday with my girlfriend. I was like, that's who I'm having on my podcast tomorrow. And she's like, how do they get those cars in there? And in the front area, not obviously the back area. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. He's definitely got some good porters on the spot and on the job. So it's funny you say that. A, we do it very carefully. B, nobody else will do it. So typically I have to do it because they're all afraid of hitting the building. <laughs> yeah. So it, whenever you want to see something in the front window, like we really want to make sure you're ready to buy because we basically have to empty the whole showroom to yeah. get the cars in and out of the front window. Yeah, no, I've been to your place several times and it's beautiful and it's great. And your inventory is filled with lots of cool cars that people would want to take pictures of and they are neck breakers as I would call them. But let's get into the car buying process. This is a major topic as to why people might listen to this episode. They might not understand how buying a car actually works in reality and what the process, what the timeline is. With that being said, a lot of my audience, I'm not sure if you're aware, they're young adults. They're either in high school, they're in college, they've just graduated from college. And here and there, I have some older listeners that have more life experience. But for the most part, they don't really know how these things work. And I think like I said before, unless you live in a big city, and even if you do live in a big city, you're probably going to need to buy a vehicle at some point. And we'll talk a little bit about leasing versus buying and the difference. And I'll give my opinion on it. And I'm sure you will. But let's start from the beginning. As an expert, the best of the best, what should a person be spending on a car in terms of you know, how much money should they allocate a percentage? And obviously this, you know, it's different for everyone because if you're a car lover, you might spend a little more on a car rather than if you don't really care. But what would you say to someone that's like, don't be stressing out about how much you're going to spend on a car? Do you have anything to say about that? What, how much should they allocate on spending on a car? Your listeners, as you describe them as young people are probably not going to be paying for these cars in cash and they're probably going to be financing their cars and they are not at a point in life where there's necessarily like a huge chunk of money set aside mm -hmm. to retire on or anything. So I'd say, you know, you really should probably spend less than 25% of your monthly income as a car payment. And 
that number is going to be way higher than what it would be for somebody older. But yeah. as a young person, you're also not in a point where you're about to be done working and whatnot. And realistically, even at the income levels you're going to be making, there isn't a whole lot to buy if you're spending much less than that. So, yeah. you know, what I would say to car people and I say to even our clients now is, with few exceptions, you're, you know, you're typically buying a depreciating asset. So Always. don't try to spend all of your money on it because you're not going to get all your money back, you know. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's always, and I had someone, the episode hasn't dropped yet, but I had someone on here from UBS Financial Services and we were talking about saving money and changing your lifestyle. And I think, especially if you are and do have a passion for cars, it's sort of, oh, I want this car. Maybe I can spend a little money a little more money on this car, but you might have to take a step back and analyze your situation and have savings. And then one day down the road, you can go decide and say, hey, I want that blue uh, Huracan you have at your shop right now. And you'll end up getting it, but it takes hard work and dedication. And that's the only way that you're going to get there. So now a person knows 25% of what they're making they should probably allocate the spending on a car to get them to and from work. But now I want to talk about the next step, comparing cars, what you're going to be needing a car for. If you have a family, you're going to probably need a bigger car, an SUV. If you're single and you're just going to be going to and from work, not that far, you're probably going to need a smaller, less expensive car. But where would you send someone to say, hey, go look for cars on, there's obviously AutoTrader, cars.com. And I've been seeing a lot of Facebook marketplace ads for cars recently. Where would you say is the best place for a consumer to search for these types of vehicles and compare them at the same time? All of those places that you said, honestly. So we market to all of those places. When I'm looking for cars, uh, not so much Facebook marketplace. We do advertise on there, but I'm never looking on there. But AutoTrader, Cars.com, CarGurus, CarsForSale.com, eBay, like they're all good places to look. What I also like about most of those places is that people have to pay to list there as opposed to Facebook Marketplace where you can just put something up. And that sounds weird, but the reason behind that is it means you probably have more of a realistic seller. It's not just somebody who's just throwing it up on Craigslist or on Facebook because it's free and they can do it. Mm-hmm. They probably have more of an intention of actually selling it. So, you know, should you get down that process of negotiating with them, you're probably more likely to succeed. I see, I mean, you and I are in some Facebook groups together and it's yeah. funny, some of these guys put their cars up for these crazy prices that they think they're worth and then they get offended if anyone makes them a realistic offer and they're like, yeah. get out of here. It's all, And they you know, get clowned on in these yeah. groups. We see, well, sometimes text about it, him and I, like these people are, they're dreaming, I guess is the best way to the most respectful way to put it. But now... We know the price point we want to spend. Now we know where we should go and look for cars. And I want to talk about buying a car pre-owned versus used. And I know a lot of your inventory is pre-owned inventory, but sometimes, in my opinion, it not even sometimes, I would say a majority of the time, it makes more sense, especially if you don't have the financial background to spend a ton of money to buy a car pre-owned. And I'm not sure if you're going to agree or disagree, but I'll give you the chance to have a statement in a minute. But the reason that I would say buy a car pre-owned is because that depreciation has already started happening on the car. So a lot of the times, and if you don't understand what a depreciation means, it means the value of the car is never going to be what you paid for it. So why Syed said it's a depreciating asset, it means what you're paying for, you're never going to get the money back out on what you bought it for. And a lot of times, that's why people choose to buy pre-owned cars. I'll be the first to say, I've bought 
one car that was new and it was the worst mistake I've ever made because I thought it was cool. Yeah, I'm buying a car brand new. No one else has ever driven it. Little did I know, oh my God, I'm taking a huge hit now because the depreciation on the car is so much. And whereas all the other cars I've bought, they've been pre-owned and they've been driven and the depreciation was a little less than what it would be when it was brand new. So what would you have to say to that as a car expert that's selling pre-owned cars? I, you know, I agree. I like a lot of car people, you get excited about something new. You might want to buy it. I buy new cars, which is people always kind of think is funny because I own a pre-owned car dealership or we say previously enjoyed, but they always lose a bunch of money. Um, and you should, in my opinion, buy a car that you've let somebody else absorb majority of that loss or the largest chunk of that loss. Cause where you lose the most money is from brand new. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can buy agree. used cars and even in what we sell, people are surprised, you know, when you get to a position in life where you can buy these cars in cash, you can buy a car and ultimately drive it and not have it cost you a ton of money. If you buy it used and then sell it, you know, a year or two later, it might cost you the same amount of money to drive that car as a brand new normal car. You know, you go buy a brand new car for 30 grand or 25 grand and you might still lose 10 or 15 grand in a year or two's time versus you go buy an $80,000 used car and you might still you lose the same amount of money. Obviously, you need more money to buy that car. But the point there is in the used car, once you've let somebody take that depreciation, you know, it's a slower slide down from there. Yeah, 100%. He's hit it right on the spot because, hey, if the person wants to go buy a brand new car, let them do it, but then buy it from them when they're done with it. So they've taken the loss. They've taken the majority of the hit and you can go scoop up that car now and buy it for whatever a percentage off that it's going to be from the retail price. And now, you know, and their side's right. There's a bunch of cars and you really have to do your research and know what you're looking at and know what you're talking about because there are cars out there. And I would say, you know, they might be a little more expensive, but there's cars out there that you can buy. You can drive them around for a year, a few months, a year, and you can sell it and you may not even lose anything. You might just break even if you're paying cash, like he said. But now let's talk about leasing a car. And I know I'll use your term previously enjoyed. And I like that, that you own a previously enjoyed car dealership, but leasing a car is typically, and I'm, I think it does happen for some used cars you can lease, but it's very rare. Is that right? That is right. There's a couple different options on used cars. Really on the higher end cars, you can do what's called an open-ended lease. And that's more of a tax play. That's probably not for this episode, but it's financing structured as a lease, but it's not like your traditional lease where you go hand the keys to the dealer when you're done and walk away. You yeah. still are responsible at the end of the lease. I like leasing cars especially on domestic cars, especially for those of us who live in Michigan, because I mean, it's almost, it's, it's insane how cheap we can lease cars for here. Yeah. You know, I've had Dodge Rams for like $200 a month. I've had $90,000 Cadillac Escalades for $599 a month. And those two cars are my dad's favorite cars. He drives an Escalade and a Dodge Ram 1500 and lease both of them. But like you said, if you're in the Metro Detroit area, I mean, you're getting leases on these cars that are absurd. If you tell people in other states, yeah, I'm leasing it for this place. They're like, no, you're not. They think you're lying. That happens to us, but you, you can't. So, you know, it's, Again, funny because I own a dealership where I sell used cars, but I will tell people frequently, like if they have like, you know, financial constraints or whatever, they're trying to stay within certain budgets. You can't, you know, to do the math, you multiply it out, right? You go lease a Dodge Ram for 200 and some dollars a month for kind of just like a basic Dodge Mm -hmm. Ram. 
there's very few cars out there that you can drive for $2,500 a year yeah. that are only going to drop 25. I mean, unless it's a $5,000, $8,000 car, that's a different story. But if you want to drive a $20,000, $30,000 car, good luck losing less than $2,500 a year. Yeah, no, 100%. But will you explain to the listeners, some of them might not even know what leasing a car means. Will you tell them what that means? Sure. Leasing a car is like renting an apartment or, I mean, you could almost use the term rent. It's not a rental car. It's your car. Uh, The bank is the owner of the car and you are basically, essentially, you're long-term renting it from them with some constraints in time and miles and stuff. So it's not like going and taking a car from Hertz with unlimited miles, but you have typically for, you know, most leases are going to be 24 to 39 months. You're going to pay X number of dollars a month. You're typically going to get somewhere between 10 and 15,000 miles a year. And at the end of the lease, assuming you have not done any sort of unreasonable damage to the car or exceeded those miles, that's the end of your responsibility. You just made your payments, you give the car back and you walk away. Yeah. And a lot of time I'll tell people because some of my friends will come to me knowing that I'm a car guy and they'll say, hey, where can I you know, lease a car for a good price? And I'll send them to certain people. But you have to understand, a lease has to make sense for you. If you're driving a certain amount, if you're driving 50, 100 miles a day to go to your work, it's not going to make sense for you to lease a car because you're only allowed, like Sai had said, so many miles on your car. So yeah, it might look good and it might make you feel good that you're only going to be spending a certain amount, but then they're going to charge you per mile once you've exceeded the limit of miles that they've given you. So you might end up paying more than what you would pay if you bought a car and financed it than what you did if you leased a car. So you really look at what you're getting offered and how many miles you're driving a day if you're constantly driving for work, whatever it may be. Just understand the difference and the breakdown of how leasing works with a car. But let's get back to buying a car because personally, I like buying well, hold cars. On. One more, one flip side of that yeah. though, like there's there's people out there like my mom who don't drive and they're driving like 2000 miles a year. Right. And at least doesn't make sense for that person either. Cause you're paying for use that you're not going to use. hundred so. percent. That's like my girlfriend. She rarely drives. She doesn't like to drive. She likes me to drive <laughs> and she's nowhere near her allowed miles. So it's just sitting there and she's just paying for it. A lot of the time. My wife won't let me drive if she's in the car and it's during the work day. She's like, you're on the phone the whole time. Like if we're out at night or on the weekends, I'm allowed to drive. But if it's between like 9am and five, like I'm not allowed in the driver's seat. So that's hilarious. That's how, that's how my dad is. He, if we're in the car together and it's during the day, same thing. I'm like, I'm driving because you're going to be on the phone the whole time. And I'd rather pay attention and drive, but that's how it is. It just means she cares about you. Yeah. So like I said, getting back to buying a car, those of you may not know, there might be people out there that do not know that when you buy a car, you are actually financing the car. So you're going to put what's called the down payment, which we'll talk about that and give a definition of that after, but you're going to be putting a down payment on a car if you're financing it through a bank or some type of institution that is going to loan out money. And then you're going to be paying money to that institution every single month for the car that you own. And then once it's typical like five, six, seven years, you'll be paying it. Then you'll have owned the car outright and you'll actually get the ownership of the vehicle. But in the meantime, while you're paying, the bank actually owns your car. Is that right? Technically, you own your car. They have a lien on your car, which you're saying the same thing, but yes. like that's the difference between a loan and a lease. On a lease, they own your car and you are making payments to them to drive it. On a car you own, you own it. And the difference, and I guess what I'm trying to explain is 
you're responsible for anything and everything, period, and you're not giving it back to anyone. Your only way out of that is selling it. On a lease, it doesn't matter if the residual the bank set, the residual is a value they set that they're in in their estimate what the car is going to be worth at the end of the lease. Okay. And they could be wrong, yeah. right? Let's just say you lease a $30,000 car and you make payments and they say in two years it's worth 20000 Well, if in two years that car is worth 10000 that doesn't matter to you. It's only It only matters to the bank. Now, if you own a car and you finance it and you're making your payments and you end up what we use the term in the industry, you end up upside down in the car, mm-hmm. meaning you owe 25 grand on it and it's worth 15. Well, you're still responsible for that 10 grand and like you better figure out how to make it work yeah. or keep making payments because yeah. credit is, you'll learn as you get older, like the it's ultimate, everything. it's everything. Like everything that you do is hinged on your personal credit. Yeah, I, and even I had an insurance agent on, on my second uh, episode and he was saying how auto insurance now, they're basing what your rate is going to be sometimes dependent on your credit score because it shows how risky of a person you may be or how reliable of a person you may be. So he's 100% right. Credit is everything. And I've talked about that many times on the show. And down the road, I actually have someone scheduled from a credit union, the head of loans, to come on and talk about how important credit is and why it's so important. So thank you for bringing that up because a lot of times if you don't pay your car payment, you're going to have a ding on your credit that's not going to be good when you try and go and do something else in life. Um, and that's with anything. You lease a car and you miss payments, they're going to come house, and take that car back. Lease a car, insurance, get a self. I mean, literally, like things that you don't realize, like it's all, you know, connected. So let's talk about when does it make sense for a person to buy their car outright, meaning they're not getting financing from a bank, from a credit union. They're not getting financing and they're just going to pay cash for a car. When would you say it makes sense for a person to finance their car rather than if they could buy it with cash? Well, number one, when they have enough, like they have plenty of cash, right? If you have $20,000 in the bank and you're looking to buy a $19,000 car, like I wouldn't go pay cash. Like I'd keep your money in the bank. Yeah. Also, depending on the car you're buying, you know, if you are buying a car that will hold value, as we both said a little bit ago, if you're buying a car that's going to hold its value really well and you can afford to pay cash and you're not paying interest, aka you're not adding to the actual cost of the car by borrowing money, you know, you may be able to own that car for next to nothing. Now, your guy from UBS last week and other wealth management people will tell you that in an economy like this one right now, maybe don't pay cash because money is so cheap. You know, exactly. you can, if you have good credit, you can borrow money right now for two or 3%. And essentially, you know, you'll hear some people reference that as free money. Yeah. And I think a lot of times what I've learned growing up and just being young and an entrepreneur is if there's a point in time where you can use someone else's money and only pay a small percentage of it, do that because you'd rather keep your money in the bank rather than taking your money out and using it on something else. And if it's only going to cost you 2 and 3%, sure, it might be a lot if you're talking a ton of money, but it's still worth it because you still have your money in the bank and you're not using your own money. A lot, You're 100% right. A lot of the time people are using the term free money because right now rates are so low. And it's always something to think about, but that's always changing. Who knows with the world we're living in today, what it's going to be like a year from now, right? Six months from now. The other thing is there are certain cars that are more expensive to finance. Uh, If you buy a car, for example, that's more than five years old, the banks will typically charge a much higher interest rate. So if you're in a position that you can pay cash and you're buying a car that's 10, 15 years old or something like that, 
you know, I'm just throwing out numbers. I don't know. But yeah. if they're like eight or 10%, then, you know, that's substantial interest you're paying and you might as well just pay for the car. Yeah. Because you're probably not necessarily returning at the same rate you're going to borrow at. So yeah, you might as well just use your that, money. That, those numbers are high and it could very well be. And I've seen that in those Facebook groups that we're in. People are saying, oh, I'm, this is, you know, my credit's no good and this is what I'm paying. And it's just craziness that's a lot of times too if you've seen ads on tv like we'll get you approved no matter what your credit is a lot of times those (laughs) rates they will but you don't want it (laughs) yeah those rates are like insane and please try and find another option but let's talk about something i was discussing beforehand that i said we'll get to a down payment on a car can you break down for the listeners what a down payment is and what's a typical percentage that someone puts down when they when I say down, what puts a down payment on a vehicle? What is that usually in terms of what the price of the vehicle is, or is it dependent on what they can put down on the car? So first I'll answer what a down payment is, and then I'll get to the rest of that. So a down payment is literally kind of, as you said, it's the amount of money that you are putting down at time of closing to purchase the car. Now, typically that's going to depend on you as an individual. And by that, I mean, if this is their first time financing a car, the bank is definitely going to want you to quote unquote, have some skin in the game. Like you've never proven to them that you can make a car payment and that you're going to do this. Like you might've gotten some small credit card that was on some college campus, at least, you know, not to date myself, but they used to do that when I was in college, they'd have these little desks and you'd sign up for credit cards. And that's different because they're giving you like a thousand dollar, a couple thousand dollar limit and your payment's nothing. And you're going all of a sudden to buy a car and you're like, oh, look, I've had this credit card made four payments, like loan me money on a car. And they're like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. So that's the first part uh, as to what the payment is and how much they're going to want down. The other thing is the actual loan amount, right? What we end up seeing as we watch younger people have more and more success is like they may have incredible credit, like they've never been late on anything. They make good money, but like just throwing out numbers, like let's say the biggest car loan they've ever had is 20 grand and they come in and they want to buy a hundred thousand dollar car and they make plenty of money and have plenty of money in the bank and great credit. The bank still looks at what's called comparable credit. And they're going to say, yeah, we're going to give you more than 20. Like you've proved you can do 20, but we're only going to give you 30 or 40. We're not going to give you 100 because you haven't shown us that you can pay 100. You've shown us that you could pay 20. And so we always try to set that expectation a lot of times with our younger buyers. Like, listen, we know you make a bunch of money and you have great credit, but you've never bought a $100,000 car before. So the bank's not just going to give you $100,000. Like that's typically not how the bank goes now. At some of the new car dealers like General Motors, Chrysler, Ford, they have what are called captive banks. They're banks that the manufacturer owns. And there's a little more incentive for those guys to take on a riskier loan because they're also selling the car. The banks that most independents deal with and most pre-owned dealers deal with, like my bank is in business to make money, right? So they're not all that motivated to take a high level of risk on selling a car for me. Yeah, exactly. They're their own institution. I'm my own institution. Once the car sale is done on my part, I have limited exposure on that financing. I kind of have like a 90 day responsibility to the bank sort of thing. So if the whoever we sell the car to goes kind of belly up, the bank is who's stuck. So they're more cautious on the money they loan. Yeah, exactly. And I I've seen some trends. I want to say yes, money is so cheap, but I've seen trends where banks and institutions are starting to cut back a lot on what they're allowing people to take out as loans now and what your credit that what you can take out on a credit card and you know your limits and all that stuff. I've seen things starting to cut back because of everything that's going on. 
But thank you for breaking that down. Now I want to transition into something you may not be happy that we're talking about, but it's absolutely a part of buying any car or leasing any car. It's the negotiation on the car. And the reason he's laughing right now and the reason I say you might not be happy about that is as someone that owns a pre-loved or is that the word <laughs> that, that works too we might take it to that we, we previously enjoyed but previously they are loved enjoyed, as well yeah previously enjoyed pre-loved vehicle there's negotiations that happen it's not you should never walk in to a dealership to any car lot and just maybe if you really love the car and it's a super rare car then sure there's going to be no negotiation but a lot of the time there is going to be a negotiation so what would you say to the listeners so that they can understand how the negotiation works from the other end, right? You're on the other end and you have to make money. You have to put food on the table for not only yourself and your family, but your employees are relying on you as well. So what would you say for someone, how much should they really push the envelope and try and negotiate and where should be like the breaking point where they say, okay, I've done enough negotiating. This is probably the end. This is where they're going to really get down to. So obviously I sit on a slightly different side of this topic, right? But the couple things I'll tell you is one, never negotiate off emotion and two, never negotiate off of your budget, which that one sounds weird. And to clarify, like if you're at the end of your budget, that's, you know, not to sound crass, but that's your problem. Mm -hmm. Like, so that doesn't mean like, Hey, I can spend 30 grand. You're asking a hundred and I really want this car. So I'm pissed off that you're not selling it to me for 30 grand. Well, that's just an unrealistic expectation. So we're never, we like at our place, I'm never disappointed to talk to somebody who's educated on the market. Um, obviously the product that we're selling as you and I discussed earlier is a little different because we're selling to a different market and we offer value other than just the product. You know, you're buying, sometimes you go, when you go to eat, you can go to McDonald's or you can go to a nice restaurant and you're getting food at both place, but there's a different level of food and different atmosphere and, you know, different social crowd, different and customer service as well, which right. you have the best of. Thank you. Appreciate yes. it. So, uh, I would say that's the biggest part is know what you're buying and know what it's worth. And that's not to say the person you're negotiating with, the dealer or individual you're buying from that you're negotiating with might not be unreasonable. That'd be a lie to say that that doesn't happen too. But generally speaking, if we're talking to somebody who's reasonable and they know the value of what we're selling, well, we're there to sell a car. That's what I always say to people when they get mad that we can't come to a deal. I'm like, listen, I want to sell this car. That's why yeah. I'm here is for the car to sell. That's yeah. how I make money. So if I don't do a deal with you. It's not because I don't like you or I don't want to negotiate with you. It's because I can't do a deal. Like there's a business to be run. As you said, there's employees to pay, there's vendors to pay, there's bills to pay, you know, all those things. But you just understand what you're trying to buy and take the emotion out of it. And don't yeah. be an asshole. Don't, don't be that, an that asshole. That never works. Don't be an asshole because sometimes you'll just run into the person on the other end that doesn't need to sell. Yeah. And if you're an asshole, it doesn't matter. Even if you come back and you are ready to pay the price, they might just be like, no. Yeah. You know, it's, I'll tell you for us, like especially in 2020 with the way the world is in the internet, we can usually tell when we're negotiating with somebody like what's going to happen after the sale, right? If, if you're really trying to like nickel and dime us down on every penny and like, be hypercritical, chances are you're going to be the person that I hear from 18 months and 10,000 miles later who's like, the car you sold me needs tires. And we're like, well, yeah, that's a wear item. Like it didn't yeah. need them when you bought the car. Yeah. And they're like, well, if you don't pay us, I'm going to leave you a bad review. And we're like, 
That's well, horrible. What? That's like, horrible. That, that how, someone... Like you bought the car a year and a half ago. Yeah. So we try, like, at least in our experience, and kind of like I think that's important for your listeners to know is like the people you're buying from may have done this a lot of times and they've kind of seen some things. And we're not necessarily likely to want to negotiate with an unreasonable or unrealistic person. Yeah, it's cause, just because it's not worth your time. You could think that, oh, I'm giving them the business. They need my business. Well, a lot of the times they could just basically say, screw you. I'm, it's not worth my time to sit there and argue and go back and forth with you. If like you know, too, like you said down the road, they're going to be a headache and a pain in your ass. It's not worth it sometimes. And there's... I, that happens in every business. You know that there's people that are just going to be a pain in your ass and they might not seem like it up front, but they're going to be. But I want to put a situation into play here. I found a car that I want at PMC Detroit. I come in, we've negotiated, the deal is pretty much done. I'm going to finance the car. What is the typical time frame from the time where we actually agreed to a price to when I'll actually get the keys to the car and get to call it mine. It depends on a few variables. Like if you're paying cash yeah. or if you're not financing, when I say cash, I don't mean a duffel bag with cash. I yeah, mean a wire course. transfer or a bank check or, you know, depending on a relationship with you, a personal check. If you are making a payment in full without any bank and we can negotiate a deal, we can do a deal in five minutes, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to come to terms. We're going to do the old handshake that you don't do in COVID world anymore, but <laughs> like you're going to do paperwork and you're going to be on the road. Um, if we need to submit you to a bank, it will depend on your credit profile and how quickly the bank does or doesn't approve or how much negotiating we have to do with the bank to get an approval. And that could take a few hours time. Um, the other variable is whether the car you're buying, you know, sometimes we get a car in and somebody happens to be standing there right when it shows up and they're like, I want to take that home today. And I'm like, well, we haven't had it checked out. You know, I can't send you on the road not knowing if it needs brakes or tires or whatever, because that's my responsibility in selling a product that's roadworthy. Yeah. And a lot of the times know that if you are buying a car and you have agreed upon everything and if you are financing, it's probably going to take maybe a few business days for you to get approved for that loan on the car and to have all the paperwork submitted through the institution and get the wire from the institution sent to someone like a Syed. And then you'll be able to take possession of it down the road in a few days, in a few weeks or whenever it may be. So know that there's definitely a time frame there that a lot of people I don't think understand that you can't just walk in if you're financing and be like, hey, I want this car let me leave with it at 5 p.m. No, that's not how it works. You have to get financing. You have to go through the bank. Bank has to approve you. All those things have to happen. So know that. But now I want to talk about the condition. You brought it up. I have to make sure the car doesn't need brakes, doesn't need anything like that. I want to talk about the car facts of a vehicle. And I know there's other companies or other places that do, you know, a background on the car and keep track of it. But the condition of buying a, a we'll call it pre-loved now, a pre-loved vehicle is very important and also probably determines what the value of the car is worth. If the vehicle has been in an accident and it completely had to get rebuilt, that vehicle is going to be way cheaper than a car that has perfect history, no accidents, few owners, and that's it. So what is a Carfax for the listeners so they can understand? So Carfax and AutoCheck are two companies that provide vehicle history reports. Carfax being the one that everyone knows. And it's kind of funny. Carfax is, in my opinion, they're a great company, but really they're an incredible marketing company. They have 
built a database um, that has information that buyers want to see. But really what they've built is this perception that you cannot buy a car without a good Carfax. Now, let me back up and say we pretty much only sell cars with clean Carfax only because it's literally like so hard to explain to people that there are plenty of cars that you'll see with a good Carfax that actually have been damaged or yeah, have been of painted. And it just hasn't reported to Carfax. And on the flip side, you may have somebody, like I have a client of ours that reached out a couple of weeks ago and wanted us to buy this Porsche. And I was like, dude, it's got a bad Carfax. And he's like, literally nothing even got painted. I closed my garage door on it and like we had to fix one scratch and it was like nothing. I have a picture of it. I said, I believe you. Like I know what you're telling me, but I won't even get the phone call because yeah. the guy on the internet's going to click the Carfax and see that there's something that happened and they're going to move right past your car. Although And you I'm know, that guy that's not going to call you because I look at that. I look at the Carfax. You're 99% of guys. You're not like that's people, but it's funny when you say that. So what I will say on the flip side, because we're sort of establishing that more often than not, people won't talk to anyone with a bad Carfax. Don't also assume that just because a Carfax is good, there's no story there. So, you know, it's still important to take a look at the car. And if you're buying it from a private individual, like have it inspected by a dealership or by somebody qualified to look at it. And like, for example, for us, I can look at a car and more often than not, tell you if it's had paint work. And it doesn't matter if the Carfax is clean. And we'll see people that'll bring us cars to sell us or trade us that have clean Carfaxes that they've bought from other people because they had clean Carfaxes. And we're like, you know, this car's had paint work. These three panels are painted. Like, do you know what the damage was? And they're like, what are you talking about? There's no damage. The Carfax is good. And we're like, well, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean there's no damage. So you could have a clean Carfax and there's still damage. But just make sure you're looking at those things. And like Syed said, if you're buying from a private seller, there's actually a company, I forget the name of it, and maybe you'll know it, but they'll actually go, you pay them, they'll go out there, they'll inspect the car, they'll drive it, they'll take pictures, they'll do like a whole check. But that's if it's from a private seller and it's not you know, from, coming from a dealership where they can do that themselves. But even if it is coming from a dealership, you might want to still get it checked out from a third party that doesn't have an interest or aren't invested in actually trying to sell the vehicle to you. So would you say that if someone buys a car, they get in an accident, that car is now going to be worth less than what it would have been if there was no accident and it is reported to the Carfax? Yeah, almost always. The question is how much less, and the answer to that depends on what kind of car it is. You know, it, we play in the supercar and hypercar space and those cars, it matters a lot, you know, because the guy who has the ability to buy a, you know, hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollar car, like, will spend fifty grand more, knowing and being totally comfortable that there's never been any damage. Versus, you know, the family buying a minivan to get their kids around, as long as they know that it wasn't anything serious. That five hundred dollars or thousand dollars in savings is substantial, and that's important. Is there a benefit from buying, like, say, I want to come to you? you have a Lambo at your place that I want to buy, but there's also a private seller on AutoTrader that's selling a similar Lambo. Is there a benefit from coming to you rather than going to the private seller? In my opinion, there is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going anywhere. Like, this is how I'm feeding my family. I have a brand, I have a business to support. I'm more likely to not screw somebody because mm -hmm. it's not a one and done type of deal versus, you know, nobody's going on, cars.com and leaving a review for an individual seller who sold you a car one time. Yeah. <laughs> so like, um, 
and that's not to say that individual sellers are bad. We often buy cars that way. You know, I'll go online once in a while when inventory is down and I'll just look at cars in the market and I'll make calls and make offers to try to buy cars. So I'm not discouraging that. But generally, I mean, it's sad to say this is why, but they're generally going to behave in a more appropriate manner because they've got more to lose. A reputation. And yeah. like you said, I mean, he's built, if you go online and you ask people about Syed, they'll tell you that he's the best of the best and he takes care of every single one of his clients. Like they're the only ones that they have. And that's what, that's why I love him. And I wanted to have him on the show is because I know the type of person he is. And I don't want to talk bad about the car industry, but there are some shady people out there that you have to be cautious of. There's some shady places that you might hear stories about them and what they're doing with the cars that they're selling. And you just might want to stay away from that. So I wanted to bring someone reputable that has positive reviews that knows the industry in and out. And this is like he said, this is what he does. This is how he's feeding his family. Now, before we totally get out of the topic of buying a car or leasing a car or anything about the timeline or process of how that actually works, is there anything I missed or any general advice you would have to people that we didn't talk about that's important when they are looking to buy a car or when they are looking to lease a car? No, honestly, I think you had a lot of, like, you touched on everything. Um, going back, so somewhat related to cars or not related to cars, like the couple points that I would make that I would say are the most important if you're a young person looking at this is, again, don't make an emotional purchase. Whether that's a car, clothes, a house, whatever, like, try to be a rational person. And then to, like, understand that there's a process with your credit, you know, as you're financing things. And again, don't let your emotion get into it. And you know, if you actually play it the right way and you kind of, everyone wants the craziest car or the craziest house or the craziest watch, but you know, that there's a reason that typically speaking, it's not the youngest person on the block that's got that stuff is like, you kind of got to follow the process and put in the time and do it and you'll get there and it'll be easier because you'd rather be buying that car cash or paying 2% interest than paying 10% interest because then the car yeah. costs you four times as much as the next guy or five times as much as the next guy. A hundred percent. Thank you for that. And thank you for bringing in other topics other than cars, because a lot of times people will go and splurge on different items and you look at it the same way. Can Do you really need this? Do you really want it? And what benefit is going to bring to you, if any? So thank you for bringing that up. Now, I want to get into your business. You've built an amazing business. We've talked about it numerous times, a reputable business, someone that if you're in the car industry, I actually have a friend who I'm not going to mention because I don't know if he'll be happy, but I know that he wants to basically do what you do and he looks up to you and you know he's around my age and he knows that what you've built, you've only been able to build because you've been honest, because you have great relationships with other people in the industry and because of how you treat your clients. But what about some, I always like to ask my guests about some mistakes they've made that you've overcame and that has made you a better person, whether it's in your personal life or in business. So is there any stories of mistakes or failure that you could share with someone to show that you can always get past that point? Overcommitment is the first thing, right? Like try, you hear anything you do to underpromise and overdeliver. But as anyone who's motivated or enthusiastic, like you don't want to say no. You always want to say, yeah, 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 I can get that done or I'll do that or whatever. I've learned over the years that people would rather have you tell them they can't do something, that you can't do something, than tell them you're going to do it and then not deliver. 
you're more likely to do more future business with them saying, I can't do that than not delivering what you say you will. So that's probably my first one. And then, you know, like anything else, like let it take your time. Like obviously go, like go hard. I, I still, I'm, you know, almost 40 years old. I still work. I feel like 18, 20 hours a day. Like when I say that, it doesn't mean I'm sitting in front of a desk, but I don't unplug often, but you also have to be realistic in knowing what you're able to accomplish and what you're, what you're able to do physically and mentally. And like, you know, you have to keep your family in mind and whatnot and that success is sweet, but not so sweet when you're just on your own. So you got to keep other people. You have to make time for your family, which I know you're a great father. And so we always like to have, you know, parents that talk about how important it is to balance your time with work and with family to make sure that your significant other, your children are getting the attention that they need. Now, how important are relationships in this industry, whether it's with, like I said, other dealerships or with people, how important are they in the car market? They're priceless. You know, if we're buying cars and like, I think even you and I have had these conversations. Um, you were buying a car. No, it wasn't you. Sorry. It was either Lance or Chris, but yeah. they were buying a car down in Florida and they said, Hey, do you know these guys? And I said, yeah, I do actually. And we were able to call and learn about the car and find things out and negotiate. And it's a lot easier. People in general operate better or function better with their guard down. So when you have a relationship with somebody and you're not just some guy calling off the street, chances are it'll be easier to do a transaction than each guy in the corner making sure they get their jabs in trying to win the fight. Yep, 100%. How can someone contact you? How can they contact either PMC Detroit or contact you? You have a website, phone number that you want to give out. What, sure, what, how I'll can give they? out my cell phone number. I will warn you that everyone else will warn you that I might not be the quickest person in the world to respond to. And then I'll give you the dealership phone number on our website. Uh, my phone number, You can anyone can contact me, 248-885-0025. Best by text, shoot me a text and then please be patient, but I'll get back to you. Or you can call the shop 248-313-2800. Anyone there will help you out or go on the website, www.pmcdetroit.com. Gotcha. And I'll take all that info for all the listeners and I'll post that up on the website under the guest tab. So tbotbpod.com. If you want to go there, you'll be able to browse his very cool selection of cars that he has for sale. So if you are someone young and you want to dream of what it's like to go and buy these cars, definitely take a look. If you're in the Metro Detroit area, swing by a shop. I don't know if they're letting people in with COVID. Maybe look through the windows and look at that front car that was so hard to park there. But do whatever you can to get in contact with him because, like I said, he is one of the best of the best in the industry. Now, the last question I have for you, which I ask all my guests, is what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? It's okay to ask for help. Look at that. That's a different one. Usually a lot of times people say, like, believe in yourself. That's an important one. Well, Ask that's part of the same thing to me. Just because you're asking for help doesn't mean you don't believe in yourself. It just means you're comfortable with yourself. Like a lot of times, like you don't want to appear weak to other people. So you're afraid to ask for help. And ultimately you end up taking a longer road because I've met plenty of people that are clients of ours that have become mentors and friends of mine that I can now bounce things off of and get responses. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I guess that makes total sense instead of having to learn the hard way myself. Yep. Definitely ask for help. And people are most of the time, always willing to help you if you are approaching them in a professional and respectable way, because 
a lot of times people don't ask for help. And then when you have someone say, hey, I need help with this. I don't really understand this. You're like, wow, that's pretty cool that they're acknowledging that they don't know. And they're coming to you and they sort of see you as a superior because they're asking you for help on whatever it may be. Well, it's a great episode. Lots of information, lots of education. And thank you for coming on the podcast. I look forward to seeing all of the things you will continue to accomplish in the the industry. And you truly are one of the best of the best. I've said it many times, but I believe that the way that you are in life uh, and you are in business is a true showing of the person that you are. And I've said people respect you. I have many friends of mine that know him and they say such nice things about him. I've never heard one bad thing about him. So that's a a true compliment. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing this. This is super cool. I've enjoyed watching some of the other episodes and it's really cool that you're doing this. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a cool concept that a lot of people I saw something on Facebook the other day people are like my why isn't my my dad sent it to me why isn't my son or daughter learning about uh I forget what it was maybe credit in school and he commented like hey my son is actually trying to fill this gap but you're exactly right there you have it everyone that was another fantastic amazing episode covering a topic that's part of the shit we're not taught in school and I had a conversation with I think it was my waitress the other night. And she's like, you know, it's so crazy that we were talking about the podcast. She's like, why aren't these things taught in school? I'm like, I ask myself that question every day because it's things that are essential in life, but we're not taught in school. So don't know why that is, but that's why you come and you listen to the show. You can find the show on any podcast platform, right? If there's iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, there's a ton of other platforms that do have podcasts and you'll find the show on there. I want to thank DBP Podcast for being the best producers in the game and producing the podcast and putting it out on all these platforms. They truly are, again, the best of the best. But know, too, that people usually learn these things on the fly when they're going to buy a car. They're learning how this works during that process. Don't be like that. Listen to the show. Take away things from the show. If you have to go back and say, hey, I didn't catch that. I need to listen to it again. Do that. So when you do go and do these things, you have that basic level of understanding of what I always talk about. When you become successful in whatever you do in life, even if it's just buying a car, make sure you know how that process actually works, what the timeline is. Now you heard someone that owns a car pre-loved, I'll call it, dealership, and he was talking about negotiating. So use all of the information you're given because It's hard to understand how these things work, and that's why I bring on the experts. As you know, always lead by example. I may be young, but I'm learning life essential skills that I need, as are you when we go through the show and we listen to this. But we all are leaders together, and I want everyone to always, always, always lead by example. That's it for today, everyone. I'll talk to you next week on another episode of this podcast the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success.